morning. Um, our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 1, 39 to 45. There's a little printout in your brochure to follow along. Um, Mary visits Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and was greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it that granted to me the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Good morning. Welcome again to Sutherland Church. Whether you're visiting here through the snow or you're here every week, we're glad that you're here with us. It's my privilege this morning to introduce our speaker for for today, um, someone who's become a friend of mine and has uh, been a big help to me in a number of different ways. Uh, I guess we could say the Reverend Dr. Jason Biasi, but I'll just say Jason Biasi because that's what's uh, on... on uh, on here that I'm reading. Jason is a writer. A couple of his books are here. You can borrow them from me if you'd like to. to. They're both very good. There's more than this, too. Uh, Jason also writes for um, journals and magazines and uh, has been a minister in North Carolina, a pastor, and is currently uh, a professor at Vancouver School of Theology. And so uh, I, I think that's probably where I've had the most interaction with Jason, including taking a course. Ken and I took a course that uh, Jason was teaching last spring. So uh, pleased to introduce Jason Biasi this morning, and I'll just pray for the hearing of the word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness to us, that you reveal yourself to us in your word and in our community. We pray now for Jason as he comes to declare your word to us, that we indeed would have open and willing hearts and minds to hear what you would say to us this morning. Anoint your servant for this task, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for his presence here with us. We pray a blessing on his life in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm really glad to be back with you for worship. The first time I spoke to a gathering of St. Timothy's in Sutherland, it was at a whiskey-tasting event at a distillery, the Sons of Vancouver. And then the next time I was with some of y'all, it was to go see the Blue Jays play in Seattle. So I just assume every time I get together with you, something awesome happens. Right, which is how we should all approach worship, that something awesome happens. I'm glad in particular to be here for this third Sunday in Advent. This is a Sunday in the church where we traditionally focus on Mary, the mother of our Lord. Now, this is already a problem for churches of the Reformation like ours because Mary seems sort of Catholic, right? We Protestants might belt out the occasional song about her around Christmas time, but we don't do much more than that, and we certainly don't pray to her or through her. In the Catholic Church, at the Second Vatican Council, they took the sculpture of Mary that was front and center in Catholic churches for a thousand years, and they moved it over to the side of the church, and they added her husband, Joseph, 
there. And they put Jesus on the cross front and center in Catholic churches. That's a move that we would applaud. Well, we Protestants keep on moving Mary from the side chapel right on out the back. She's barely welcome at our churches. And an annual rendition of Mary Did You Know doesn't fix that, by the way. So today we'll attend to Mary, but not to Mary alone. Because all Mary does is point to her son. So there's a danger telling this joke when you already know the sermon is about Mary. But here it goes. Jesus is with the woman caught in adultery, and he gives the little sermon, and he says, let the one without sin throw the first stone, and then a rock comes flying in. And Jesus goes, Mom! <laughs> Catholics believe Mary doesn't, and never mind. Okay, so I'll try another one. Uh, so I was at a football game at Notre Dame one time, which is this remarkable place that combines Our Lady, Notre Dame, with love for football. And someone there had a t-shirt on that said, God may not care who wins the football game, but his mother does. <laughs> so what about us Protestants? Do we care about Mary? And in what way do we care about Mary? Here's what Mary shows us. Our God gets born. In every faith, God is great, powerful, mighty. That's on God's business card. In our faith, God is also vulnerable, needy, dependent on us. Through Mary, God has eyelashes and a spleen and a Jewish mom. And that's about as weird as things get. Mary is a red string tied around our finger so that we'll never forget our God isn't just great. Our God is flesh. So let me read this text again that we just heard. We can't hear it too many times. It's from Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. When Mary's pregnant, she does what I guess every pregnant woman ever has done. She goes to a trusted older relative for advice and support. In this case, her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is also pregnant. This is a weird sorority of pregnant women who shouldn't be, right? Good gathering for mutual support. Elizabeth is pregnant long after the time of childbearing, like the matriarchs in Israel of old. Her son, John, will tilt the entire world on its axis. So at this high point in the whole history of salvation, there is no man. Just two women. And one too young. And one too old. Whose children will make all things new. The visitation, the church has called this meeting. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, calls this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth a conspiracy of hope. A conspiracy of hope. 
Now, if you, like me, go to entirely too many meetings for a living, you can take heart. Look what God can do with a meeting. And even more than that, look what God can do. God can lay out all of salvation in just six verses that we heard. Now, this meeting goes a good deal better than the previous meeting in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, is a priest in the temple. He's a professional religious type, like me and Todd. He's got a degree. He's in charge there. He knows how things work. When you don't know what to do, you go to the professional religious type. And then an angel turns up and interrupts the morning routine with some instructions. And Zechariah says, whoa, whoa, hold on. I've been coming to this room every day for decades. And what never happens here is that God doesn't show up with instructions on what to do. This can't be happening. I have a Master of Divinity degree to prove it. And the angel says, so I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And since you don't know how to listen, you're not allowed to talk anymore. (laughs) It's the most poetic punishment in all of Scripture. So Gabriel goes on a second errand while he's in town to a teenager, a kid. Not one with any particular pedigree that would make us think God should appear to her. And with several reasons, we'd expect God not to. She's young, unmarried, a woman, a Jew. This is not how we human beings do power. But this is not the decision of any human being. Gabriel says, all right, I know this is a little weird, but you're going to have a kid. Mary says, I am a kid. Gabriel says, hold on, I'm talking. You're going to have a kid, and your kid will be God's kid, and y'all's kid will save the universe. So after saying that, Gabriel and all creation wait with bated breath to see what this teenage girl will say. And Mary says, okay. (laughs) A preacher I know says, salvation begins with Mary's yes. Unlike Zechariah, the properly trained, credentialed religious professional who says, you know, this sort of thing just doesn't happen. I don't believe it. Mary, the first Christian, says, sure, whatever you want, God. And we Christians have tried ever since to go on saying, sure, whatever you want, God. So I wonder about you. What outrageous plan does God mean to bring to birth in you? What risks does God want you to take? What cockamamie scheme to bless God's world? Is God waiting for you to stick your neck out and say, okay, I'm willing for whatever. So in our story for today, Elizabeth feels her child, John the Baptist, kick, perhaps for the first time. Many of you mothers will remember when you felt the child kick inside you for the first time. I'm told, something I'll never experience, that it's more like a flutter than a hard kick, but even that's not a hard rule. So, my wife Jalen first felt our firstborn kick when she was about to preach, and it felt like a hard kick, not any soft flutter. Uh, With our secondborn, we're at a Duke basketball game, which is kind of the temple where I'm from, right? And we're sitting in the front row, and she's pregnant and starving, And so she's scarfing these nachos. And I say to her, now, honey, you got to pay attention because things can fly into the crowd. And the minute I say that, the guy on the other side of her catches the ball. And she turns to me and says, the baby kicked. 
<laughs> and then our third born, we have no idea when he kicked. I mean, do you keep paying attention after the second? I mean, we didn't, right? Future therapy bills in the works here for this one. Elizabeth first feels her child flutter during this conspiracy of hope meeting. The two relatives meet, and the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Now, you may remember King David dancing before the ark in Israel, leaping for joy. Here, John the Baptist leaps for joy while he's still in his mother's womb. It's a way of saying that Mary is the new ark. She's the one who bears the dangerous presence of God physically inside her. John the Baptist is already leaping before Jesus when he's only a few months in utero, and Jesus is barely a fetus. So we might think of this as the first church service, the first jolt of joy in the presence of Jesus. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say this to brethren, but churches have taken this as an argument for infant baptism. I mean, if John the Baptist can recognize Jesus in utero, surely people who were just born can recognize Jesus. But I would never say that to a group like you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that part out. But here's the point of the story. Jesus is God as a zygote. The life of the world was created by this one who's now an infinitely complex bundle of cells fast multiplying inside a teenager. The Holy One of Israel is kept alive by amniotic fluid and a cord to his belly. This is God in a womb. and That's enough to make anyone leap whether they happen to be born yet or not. Christmas is about a staggering reversal of everything. In our world, in every world, the rich and powerful are on top, and everybody else is scrambling to try and catch up. It's also a story about the media. In our world, if somebody important has something important to announce, they hold a press conference, they got television, they use Twitter. When God has the most important thing to announce... God tells a couple of women from a despised religion from the middle of nowhere. And they're the first two who rejoice in what God is about to do. Even in our story, Elizabeth is someone powerful, prominent, important. She's married to a priest. She's older. She's from a good family. She should be the one honoring Mary. But Mary turns up and Elizabeth says, Why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord appears to me. God takes what we normally expect, the way things always work, and turns them upside down. Mary sings, God has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts and exalted the lowly and meek. Saint Ephraim, the Syrian, 4th century Christian, said, What happens at Christmas is that the reins of the universe are handed to a baby. (laughs) Babies don't normally drive chariots. (laughs) Sounds dangerous. And fun. And that's how God does things. And this is why the church has long honored Mary as mother of our Lord. She's a reminder that in Christianity, God is a human person. God is like us in absolutely every way that matters. This is the point where Jews and Muslims, who have so much in common with us elsewhere, have to get off the train. For them, God being a human being is less than God. A blasphemy. An outrage. For us, God being a human being is the most godly thing about God. It's a stark difference. 
there that we name with respect. And that's not even just true of religious people. Even non-religious people, if you ask them what God is like, the images would be of someone real powerful, someone real mighty, someone real far away, with a lot of lightning bolts not normally used. Right? We say no to that. That God isn't above the process of human beings getting born. We glance at Mary and we say... Not only did God make the process of humans getting born, God went through that process personally. As the line in the hymn says, Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. God is not disgusted by the idea of getting born. Far from that, God enters into it in a body. This is the dignity of every woman, of every human being, and especially of God. God gets born. God has a mom. God is not above the guts of our life. God spent nine months in guts. That's about as shocking as I can put it. God is fleshed. And this turns us to wonder. There's a reason our best hymns and our best praise clumps around the Christmas season. Because when language starts to strain and crack under the freight of talking about God... We put it in verse. We rhyme it. We make doxology with it. We say, look, it's beautiful, especially when we can't understand it. So a poem, if you'll forgive me, sorry to be a stereotype as a preacher, Madeline Langle on Advent says this, This is the irrational season when love blooms bright and wild. Had Mary been filled with reason, there'd have been no room for the child. We can talk about a virgin bearing God, and it'll make a sort of sense, a poet's sense, a lover's sense, not necessarily a medical textbook sense or a logician's sense, but those aren't the only kinds of senses there are. Now, I said before, we Protestants haven't paid much attention to Mary in her own right, and I want to say that's appropriate. We make a mistake if we think Mary is important for her own sake, Mary's the one constantly pointing us to her son. Mary's the guarantee of God's humanity. Anytime we bump into Mary, she says, let me introduce you to my boy. And that's as it should be. But we Protestants have paid quite a lot of attention to the virgin birth. Because it's just so interesting. It's a perfect test case. Does this sort of thing really happen? Right? I mean, surely Mary just got pregnant. And her son turned out pretty special. Happens all the time, right? When the church was young, our pagan neighbors would say, you know, we've got nasty words for little boys with no daddy. And you're claiming to follow that kind of person as a savior? There are lots of ways to think about the virgin birth, so I'll give you my favorite. When we trust in Jesus, when we put our whole life in his hands, things happen. Stuff gets born that wasn't there before. Seeds are planted. New ministries break out. Lives are changed. The poor are fed. The humble are blessed. Faith bears fruit. And when any of us trusts, something new gets born in the world. Mary of Nazareth trusted so much, she got pregnant. Our trusting also bears new things. An angel shows up and says, look, 
I know you're not married. I know you're part of a religion most of the world hates. I know you're a kid from a town nobody likes very much. I know all of that. But God wants to get born in your untouched womb. And Mary says, okay. And her belly swells. Friends, when God shows up and says, look, I know this is weird. But here's what we're going to do. What's your response? And watch out if your back doesn't start to ache and your feet to swell, and you get weird cravings. That's God getting born all over again. Now, another thing about birth, it's difficult. And I I don't just mean the delivery room where they have the smelling salts for the dad, right? For lots of people that I know and love, lots of people you know and love, would love to be pregnant and aren't. Or would love to have been pregnant and never were. And here in Advent, we got all these stories of women getting pregnant too young and too old. And so the natural answer is, how about me, God? <laughs> Little love over here. Even in our age of medical marvels to coax pregnancy out of reluctant bodies, it doesn't always work. And here's another problem. Sometimes it works in exactly the wrong way, right? I mean, you have the child you think you want, And parenting becomes the most painful thing you've ever experienced. Because these little people are independent of us. And they go and do their own thing. And so the very thing that becomes our deepest source of pride, our deepest source of happiness, can also become our deepest source of pain and sorrow. And now do you see why when God comes to heal the world, God comes exactly there. The place that hurts the most. The place that creates the most joy. And I know this isn't the good news everyone always wants to hear, but I think what God wants us to do is to hold the infant Christ right there, where it hurts the most. Because that's where God wants to bring the greatest healing, the greatest life, the greatest joy. And here's another mystery. Think about this for a minute. Isn't it weird that you were born? That of all the people your parents might have met, they met each other and and had you. And here we all are right now. I mean, a mathematician could show us how mathematically impossible this moment is. That this constellation of people would exist in the same room at this moment. And here we are. Right? So I want you to think about your being born. Henry Nouwen says we should celebrate birthdays because birthdays are grace. Most of the things we're celebrated for in our life are things we achieve, right? A birthday celebrates the fact that you showed up on the planet. Something with which you had nothing to do whatsoever, right? Birthdays are like grace. So a final poem on this, if you'll forgive me, can't help it. It's Advent. This one's about getting born. It's from Mark Wunderlich. If you'll change to the next, not that one, I skipped that one. Sorry, next one. And you can't even see that one. Sorry. All right, here you go. Listen to me. I remember the day of my birth. Your words washed that which clung to me from the other side. Bound me to the promised ghost. I was dipped and sponged, cut free. Delivered as I was like a lamb lodged in its dam. Tears and pain were her price. And I was handed over to be wiped with straw. You built me bone by bone. 
counting the hairs that would one day thatch my crown. Do me a favor. Run your hand through your hair. Go ahead. Takes longer for some of you than for the rest of us. God thatched that crown. God counts those hairs. Science tells us that every few years, every cell in our body is replaced by another cell. We're ourselves all over again, but entirely different. And God never loses track of those cells. God counts the number of those hairs. That's a wonder. Now here's the wonder of wonders. God has hair. God is cells. God gets born of our stuff. The hope of Israel. The body of Mary. That's what we think about God. I can't explain that. All we can do is wonder about it. And then we can wonder what any of this means for you, Sutherland Church. I know a little bit about your town, North Vancouver. This is not the easiest place to be a Christian church in 2016, is it? I mean, where I came from, Boone, North Carolina, we were a church of 1,500 people in a town of 20,000, and we were the third largest church in town. So when we moved here, we lived in North Van. I had to tell my kids, hey, you can't ask a new friend which church they go to. This is like not an appropriate question on the playground in North Van. Back there, it was just like asking who your family was. I mean, it was not weird. Things have shifted. One way I like to joke about this is that where I'm from, you can start a new church and run anyone up there with skinny jeans and a smoke machine and people will come to church, right? That is not how things work in the lower mainland. It may have been 50 years ago, and I doubt it, even then. Here's the point. You're going to have to do something different to be the church God dreams about on this patch of earth. And how do we do that? Not only do I not know, not only does Todd not know, not only do none of your leaders know, none of us knows. (laughs) Now, what I assume you'll do is you'll get together, and you'll bounce ideas off each other, And you'll argue with one another kindly, and you'll muddle your way forward. But none of us knows how to do this thing. There's no playbook. Here's the good news. Was Mary planning on what was going to happen that day when Gabriel turned up? Now, Mary did everything you're supposed to do, from all we can tell. She's a faithful Jew. She knows the prayers of Israel. Nothing in Jesus' teaching cannot be traced to what he learned bouncing on Mary's knee sister knew how to raise a boy, right? And yet that God would send Gabriel to make a pregnancy, that God would grow right underneath her ribs and save the whole world through that one? She didn't know until we all did. So Sutherland Church, we're going to do our best, plan, sing, teach, be a church. And then we're going to watch the God who always surprises us show up again. Because that's what God always does. Make it so, Lord Jesus. Amen.